My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I, I just want to tell you about the one who we were just singing about. He's our God. And he's so great. And we're, we're in this series on prayer. And it's talking to God. It's simply talking to the one we were just singing to, the one who loves, who cares, who knows you so well. That's what prayer is all about. You know, last week, we talked about how God, he, he wants to meet with you. It's a really an incredible truth that the creator of the universe wants to meet with you, with me, that he cares about the details of our life. That's, that's our God. And this, this week, we're going to ask the question, God, who are you? Who are you? Now, Jackie just rattled off like over a hundred names of who God is. I'm only going to tackle about five, right? Because I'm not Jackie. I can't do that. But, and you probably don't want me to go through a hundred. I'm slower at it than she is as well. But our God reveals himself to us in so many different ways. And, and, it's essential that we kind of get a picture, an overarching picture of who our God is. Because when, when you pray, when you talk with somebody, you, you got to know who they are. You, you've got to know some truth about them. For example, we, we see God through his creation, right? Like I'm so excited about the, the new telescope, the James Webb telescope. It's going to show us images of God's creation that, that we've never seen before, right? And it's going to be a really powerful and impactful thing to learn more about the creator of the universe. In, in this way. And, and you know, I, I think it's going to help us to understand God more. But as we, as we look back through the history of people studying about who God is, sometimes we make some mistakes and we, uh, uh, we, we, we don't understand God fully because we see just a small picture. Like, remember the classic picture of the elephant and the guys who are standing around him, the blind guys and the elephant, right? And they each get like one part of the elephant, right? And they're pretty sure they know exactly what an elephant is like because they've experienced that one part. Well, that's kind of how it can be with God. If we just know a little bit about God, if we just focus on one aspect, it's easy to, to get confused. It's easy to kind of mess that up. And, and, and the fact is God is broader than any just one simple description. For example, we could say, we could look at God and say that God judges sin because God is holy and righteous and perfect in all of his ways. That's true. And if that's your only view of God, then you'll get this view of God that's like a, an angry parent who you can never really please. The bar is always higher than, than where you're at. But we could go a different angle, and we could look at the mercy of God, right? And that God is such a merciful God, giving, giving, not giving us all the bad stuff we deserve, but instead giving us good gifts, giving us grace, giving us all these things. But if you only look at the mercy of God, you might just see God as this, like, cosmic teddy bear, right, who just affirms everything you do, and it doesn't really matter because it's just all mercy, right? And, and the fact is that God is both one who judges sin and one who is merciful. There's so many aspects of who God is. So just a few today. First of all, God is our joyful provider. 
not just our provider, but joyful provider. Inherent in that is that he's not our begrudging provider. Like this is where we picked up last week. Remember, uh, we told you the story about the, that Jesus shared about the guy who goes and he knocks on the neighbor's door in the middle of the night because he needs bread for somebody who's come in late at night. And the neighbor doesn't really want to get up and help, even though they're friends. Even the friendship isn't enough to make the guy get out of bed. He only does it because, well, that guy's persistent. It's kind of embarrassing, this neighbor, and he wants to just go back to sleep. So finally he gives in. And the scriptures tell us that if humans are at that level, how much more is God? If humans will give you something just simply because they get tired of hearing you nag at them, how much more God, who's our joyful provider, who wants to give, who loves to give good gifts to his children? Psalm 104, all creatures look up to you, God, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Now, if this is true for all the other creatures in the world, it's true for us as well. God is not only the creator, he's the sustainer of the universe. God has been keeping this thing going and continues to keep this thing going and to provide for us. Does that mean that you'll have everything that you want in life? No. God doesn't promise to give us every single want that we have, because sometimes my wants may not be aligned with God's will, or sometimes my wants may be even detrimental to me. For example, if, if you doubt this, you probably have never had children or teenagers, right? Sometimes they want stuff that really isn't the best for them. We all go through that at that age and also as adults. God promises to provide for our needs, not all of our wants. That doesn't mean we can't cast our cares, our wants upon God. We can't tell God what we want. We certainly can. That's a, it's a valid thing. Uh, last weekend in the message, I did kind of a semi-sarcastic prayer uh, for the Bengals to win, right, you know? And uh, the next day at church, uh, Amy Tomlinson, our director of adult ministry, she pointed something interesting out to me, that at the game last weekend was Pastor Adam Hamilton, the pastor of the largest United Methodist Church in the country. And he had posted about how he was attending that game, and he was praying for, for Kansas City Chiefs to win, right? And so Amy astutely pointed out that God clearly favors my prayers <laughs> more than Adam's. I don't know if that's theologically accurate or not, but I do know we're going to talk about giving Amy a raise at the next council meeting, though. It seems appropriate. But no, God doesn't always give us our wants. You can, there's faithful people now who are praying both for a Bengals win and a Rams win. God, God is, cares about more than just football, right? You know, it's all right. But you know, God loves to give good gifts to his children. He's also, second, he's the wise counselor. Wise counselor. We all need this. I mean, if you, if you still believe that nonsense that you are a self-made person, <laughs> you got to get over that. You're not. None of us are. I mean, if, if you look at me, the, the good aspects of me at least, they are a reflection of a lot of wise counsel I've received from, from my parents, from friends, from professional counselors, from supervisors, from many other people in my life who've spoken into my life and helped me when I was wrong to guide me into the right. And the areas where I still need help, well, I probably still need to listen to them more than I have. Now, if human counselors 
are that important. How much more important is the counsel of our God? Proverbs chapter 2 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful one. Then you will understand what is right and just, right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. We need God's wisdom. When you're faithful to God, when you walk in God's path, you receive God's wisdom. Sometimes we look at our lives and we, we confuse talent for wisdom. Talent's a great thing, but you know, there's, let me give you an example. I read a stat that it looked at all of high school basketball players in the United States, and it asked what percentage of them will make it to the NBA. And as you might guess, it's a pretty low percent. It's 0.03%. So three out of every 10,000 players who, who uh, lace up for high school basketball games are going to make it to the NBA. So to get there, you have to have incredible talent, incredible talent. And you may also have some wisdom, but you may be lacking in some wisdom as well. Uh, for example, I read that within five years of leaving the NBA, the average player, or the, the, the sorry, excuse me, 60% of players within five years of leaving the NBA are bankrupt. 60%. Their base salary is 925000 I think most of us could find a way to live off of that, right? You know, if that were our income. And you see, they have an incredible amount of talent, but many lack wisdom. Wisdom. It's different than just talent. Why? Well, it's not like there's a shortage of it out there. It's not like there's a shortage of in information on this. But, hey, it's a lot more exciting to get your house featured on MTV's Cribs than it is to sit there and, and listen to your financial advisor drone on and on about price-to-earning ratio, right? Like, no, nah, I think I'll pass on that. Wisdom. We need people's wisdom, but we also need the Lord's wisdom. How much more? And when you walk according to God's way, God gives you his wisdom. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Or are you kind of full of yourself and your own ways? And God, I'll, I'll ask for your help. Like, you know, when I really get in a jam, then, then we'll talk. But until then, I'm good. I got this. That's arrogant. And it's foolish. God is the giver of, of all wisdom. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the ways of the faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. God provides wisdom. He's our joyful provider. He's our wise counselor. And third, he's our loving friend. You know, when you follow Jesus, you are never alone. Hear me, you might have come into this place today feeling more alone than you ever have. Maybe you walked in here and you say, John, you don't have a clue how alone I feel. You don't have a clue how much I've been hurt or betrayed or abandoned by others. But Jesus does. He knows exactly where you're at. Jesus is the one that when he was arrested, his best friends 
hit the road and hid. He was the one who people who just a week ago had yelled, Hosanna, yelled, crucify him on that Friday. He knows what it's like, and he cares. Just before that would happen, Jesus said these words. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus didn't just talk this talk. He walked the walk. He would literally lay down hours later, stretch out his arms, and as a sheep led to the slaughter... He would willingly give his life for me and for you. Why? Because that's the cost of my sin. That's the cost of your sin. He is the most incredibly loving friend that you'll ever have. You may have the most incredible friends here on this earth. Jesus is even greater than that. You've never been loved with a love like Jesus loves. God sent the, God the Father sends God the Son who willingly gives his life to make us right with God. So you are a friend of God. And you might say, oh, I don't know that I am. You, John, you don't, you don't know how much I've messed up. You don't know how many things I've done wrong. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. it it's a free gift of God. This being able to be right with God, being a friend of God, that if we do what he commands, we give our lives to him, we surrender our lives to him, we are his friends, we are saved by him, we can have hope of eternal life. That's our God. He's the best friend ever. So I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with worthiness here, it's okay. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. And I want to challenge you to stop looking at your failures and start looking at his faithfulness because he is faithful. Stop looking at your own failures and start looking at God's faithfulness. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. I'm not. You're not. But God is. And he's your friend. He's your friend. And he loves you so much. He's our joyful provider. He's our wise counselor. He's our loving friend. And fourth, he's our gentle healer. And this, this is amazing. See, as, as one of your pastors, I get like a front row seat to this stuff all the time where people tell us about how God has touched their lives, how God has healed them, how God is moving in their hearts. And maybe you're here and you've got something that is in need of healing. I, I want to tell you, our God is a healer. He's a healer. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. That's what our God does. And he wants to heal you too. I, I, I want today, I want for you to have a better picture of how God heals people in our midst that I get to hear about a lot, but I want you to hear about it today because there's so many stories in this church of how we one thing was happening, whether it was a physical ailment or something else or something bad that was happening in our lives, but God stepped in and brought healing. 
And I want to just share a few of those types of things. And if they're relevant to you, I want to just invite you to testify with me in a real simple way, okay? If I say something, I'm going to give a little list here. And if I say something that relates to your life, I just want to ask you, if, if that's been you, if God's healed you in this way, would you just start clapping and just keep on clapping with me, okay, as we go? That, as, that if you have been touched, if you've been healed in this way, that's a simple way of saying, yes, God, that's me. And I want to give you thanks and praise because this was where my life was but God stepped in. For example, maybe this is, if it's you, you can clap along with me. Maybe you were lonely, but God spoke to you to remind you that he loves you. Maybe you felt abandoned, but God met you right where you are at. Maybe you felt, maybe you were addicted to some substance or something else, but God, but God stepped in and he broke the chains that man could never break. Maybe you were betrayed by people who you trusted, but God, but God was there for you. He loved you. He healed you. He brought you back. He restored you. Maybe you were physically ill. You had the diagnosis that was horrible and scary and awful, but God touched you and God healed you and God moved in your life. Maybe you felt hopeless, like there's no purpose, no meaning, nothing, but God gave you a reason to keep going. Maybe you were ready to end it all, but God reminded you that you are his child, that your life matters so much, that you are a daughter, that you are a son. Maybe your marriage was on the bridge. Maybe your relationship with your kids was distant. Whatever it is, God stepped in and God brought healing. Don't you see? He's a healer. Don't you see he's at work? We ought to stand up and we ought to give him praise, don't you think? gentle leader. Finally, he is our Lord. He's our Lord. He's risen from the dead, and he's Lord. You know, that's a term that may get lost on us, because it's not one we use in our world a lot, but let me just 
give you the context around which it was said. It was the first Christian confession. The very first confession was this. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. I can't do any better than that. Because it's a way of saying that Jesus, you are Lord, nobody else is. At that time, the Roman emperors, they, they were deifying themselves, saying that they were one of the gods that Romans worshipped. They even minted coins that said, Caesar is Lord. The Christians had a different opinion. They believed in the one true God, not a plurality of gods. And they said, Jesus is Lord. And that meant Caesar is not. It was a costly thing to say. Paul wrote these words in Philippians. He said, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christian tradition tells us that Paul was killed by the emperor Nero for that exact belief, that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean to you? It means that your money is not Lord. It means that your job is not Lord. It means that your, your kids or grandkids, as great as they are, they're not Lord. Your 401k, not Lord. Your house, your car, all these things, they're all good things, but they are not Lord. There's one. There's one who gave his life for you. There's one who, in fact, invites us to his table because he is the Lord. Because he gave his life for you and for me. So God, we come before you this day. Joyful provider, we give you praise because you have given us this table. You've invited us to it as a way to remember you and your sacrifice. And not just to remember, but to participate in it. Thank you that you provided by giving your life for us. Wise counselor, we just praise you because we can know you and we can experience, we can hear your voice as we come to the table. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen. Gentle healer, we just pray that you would help us to receive healing through this meal. You would touch us in supernatural ways, God. We believe that that can happen. We just ask for miracles, signs, and wonders in our lives, in our midst. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Jesus, we thank you that you are also our friend, that you meet us here at this place as one who even gave his life so that we can live. God, you are so good. You're so righteous. You're so worthy of all of our praise, and we just... We just want to meet you here at this table. Thank you for your incredible love. 